time. We are in the book of Luke this morning, and it is an amazing book. It really is, and it's so easy to miss it if you don't really catch the nuances in, in how to read through Scripture. And by the way, uh, I, I love any of the Irish that they bring in with the, the Wren Collective type stuff, and I am Lord of the Dance. So yes, I, I could pull it off. I, I, I could, you know, take off the shirt and do the whole thing there, but uh, so, sorry for the visual, but there it is. Um, now that you've uh, focused like a laser beam on Scripture, let's move forward. We looked at Mark and his introduction to a new kind of Savior, a, a real man that had real emotions, real reactions, not feminized, but a real guy. And then we saw Matthew. And Matthew was reaching out to his fellow Jews who had had questions about, is this really our Messiah? Does he really hit all of the prophecies to be our Messiah and King? And showed that, yes, he is both Lord and King. He is the anointed one, the Messiah. Now, Luke is often just lumped in with Matthew and Mark, and they're all called the Synoptic Gospels because they cover much of the same territory. However, you need to give Luke some more attention. While it certainly does have a lot of material that Matthew and Mark have, it has a different focus, a different voice, a different way of telling the story. And it's an important voice that we lose because of the structure of our language. Now, let me just bring it up for those of you that have not studied other languages. I'm, I don't know how many languages there are. I'm just going to say most that I know of don't have a neuter gender. In other words, there are no it's. It's always, it's a him or a her. You know, if, it, if it's a pen, they're going to call it a guy. If it's, if it's a pencil, they're going to, you know, that sort of thing. We're going to close the window, and did you close it would be, did you close her? All right? Everything is, and, and that throws us off, because we have a neuter, and we think that's the way that God intended. But other languages have that feminine. And when you read Luke, there are a lot of feminine voices and a lot of feminine phrases. It has a feminine voice. Now, we'll get to that and why in a bit. Uh, some scholars, in fact, a lot of them that I found, viewed Luke as a book that was to be read to believers. Or Mark introduces us to that special real guy, Jesus, and Matthew to the Messiah and King, and he's speaking to Jews, Luke was more to people who were believers, Jews and Gentiles, for Luke himself was a Gentile. And it was to be read to them, already Christ followers, before they took the Lord's Supper. Now, for those of you that think sermons go on a bit now, think of that. If you think it was a bit much of reading before going to the Lord's Supper, remember that for many of these people groups, they were pre-literal, they, they, they were pre-literate. They didn't read as much as we read. Because of this, and because books were so hard to come by, you would sit and listen to the story again and again, any chance you got to hear it, so that you could get it in your head, because you couldn't go look it up. We can look it up. Not only can we look it up, we can even see in this chapter and that verse. They didn't have that. So they had to hear the story again and again. It'd be like hearing your favorite song again and again or watching your favorite movie, but it was much, much more than this. And it all focused on the supper because the supper was the, the center event. It was the main event. Luke himself 
very interesting guy. Now, I have found that some newer books are indicating that maybe this is a different Luke, but most, and the tradition has been pretty strong through the years, that this Luke was the companion of Paul, and he was a physician. And that makes sense, really. When you read his writing, there are a lot of things that click with that. There are those that believe that he was Paul's personal physician because Paul had a lot of health problems. And it, so did Timothy, by the way. And it seemed like he needed a doctor to be along with him and ask for that doctor when he wasn't there. Whenever Luke makes a list of illnesses, his lists are different than those in Matthew and Mark. He separates, for example, demonic possession from epilepsy. He understands the difference between the two. He understands the difference between illnesses and diseases, which most modern people don't even understand. You can be diseased and not be ill. And he understands it, and he splits it appropriately in his list, just like a physician would. Early Christians, however, regard him even higher than we do, not only as a physician, but also as an artist. The Orthodox Church has had a very long, very ancient tradition that Luke was the one who first started painting pictures of the saints and pictures of the early church leaders. And that two-dimensional paintings, they still do, and they call those icons. And they will hold them up, and they say that the statues are wrong, the 3D, but the two-dimensional paintings, those are fine. And that flat style, they say, came from Luke. Now, here's the thing. A Jew wouldn't have done that because Jews were told, don't make those kind of paintings. But Luke wasn't a Jew. He was a Gentile. He'd never been part of that synagogue culture. Therefore, he felt free, now that Christ has come, to play by the new rules. So here he was, a Renaissance man, 1,400 years before the Renaissance really got kicked off. Only Gentile writer of a book in the Bible, probably, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, and a couple of the others are um, disputable, but probably the only Gentile writer of a book in the Bible. This is a unique book. We need to come at it with fresh eyes. But there's another aspect about this gospel and the book of Acts, which is his part two. It's really a two-part series for him. There are those in the early church who said this book, these two books, were written as a legal defense for Paul. Paul was in prison. Paul was up on charges because, remember, the Jews were an okay religion to the Romans as long as they stayed within their boundaries. The Romans didn't stay within theirs either, but you know, they, they, it was a protected religion. It was an accepted religion. Whenever the Christians showed up, they were considered Jews until years later and the frictions got so strong the Jews went to the Romans and said, we just lose me? I think we just did. There we are. Are we back? No, they're saying nope. All right. I will look here. It says I'm perfect in every way. <laughs> I've, got, I've got three bars here from for a Scottish-Irish person. That's quite enough. Um, I think I'm back. There you are. Yes. Well done. I think Dave fell asleep and fell forward on a switch. And <laughs> ministers are also sleep therapists. A lot of people don't know that because they're sleeping when we're talking. But um, Paul 
got in trouble because Jews go to the Romans then and say, these people aren't really Jews. They're not a protected religion anymore. They've separated from us. They're a sect. They're a denomination. They're not us. So Paul is accused of riot. He's accused of this. He's accused of that. And several early Christian writers said that the book of Luke and Acts were written as legal defenses. We're going to get the record down. This is really what happened. And that's what he tries to do, establishing the facts. Luke and John, for example, have some material in them that isn't in Matthew or Mark, specifically the mentions of Mary of Bethany, her sister Martha, Lazarus. Luke and John are the, also the only ones who specify it was the right ear of Malchus that was cut off. Eyewitnesses were involved there, but Luke wasn't an eyewitness. Here's the key. Luke wasn't an eyewitness. He wasn't an apostle. He didn't walk with Jesus. He wasn't sitting there when the Sermon on the Mount was preached. He wasn't there at the resurrection. So where did he get his material? Well, he explains that as he opens the book, the first four verses. Many have undertaken to draw up. See, there are a lot of accounts of Jesus at that time. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us, by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Please remember, the word was the way they referred to Jesus. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, O excellent Theophilus. Now, by the way, Theophilus might not be a person, but a group. It just means lover of God. And so it could be a name, but it could mean any lover of God so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. We're moving from oral to written. We want to get it right. And Luke, as a scientist, as a historian, as an artist who knows how to see things and depict them, goes to the source. There is, um, for many, many years, they don't do it anymore, sadly. But BBC One or BBC Two radio, you had BBC One or BBC Two TV, and then BBC One or BBC Two Radio, because we're a fount of creativity over there uh, with naming things. But uh, they would do um, a mother's program, and then they would do children's programs of stories on the radio. And it would always start the same way. Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. And that's really what he's doing here. He's saying, all right, I've gathered all this together. I know what I'm talking about. I got this from the source. Are you ready to listen? Then let's begin. It's a beautiful story. So he takes him from the announcement of the birth all the way to the ascension and then to the work of the early church. And he uses feminine eyewitnesses. A dominant tense in the book of Luke is female. One of his most important eyewitnesses could have been no other than Mary, the mother of Jesus because he has more information about Mary than any of the other Gospels by some measure. And his portrait of her is very intimate, shows her emotions, what she felt whenever the, she was told by the angel this, what she thought about whenever this occurred. He could have only gotten this from her. Now, when I was a boy, I was told that the Bible was written by men that sat down and God started off, are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. And he just spoke and they wrote exactly what he told him to write. 
But that doesn't account for the different ways that they tell the story or the different voices in the story because Paul doesn't sound like John or vice versa. And why would he tell Luke, who wasn't there, about what happened inside the mind of Mary and wouldn't tell Mark or Matthew? It's not like God says, you know, I forgot when I was talking to Mark. But there's this really good story. I want you to put it in there. No, they got it from different places. Mark got his from Peter. Matthew got his from being there. Luke got his from Mary. Not alone, but from Mary. He shows her surprise, her acceptance of the role of the mother of the Savior. He also gives us the story of Mary leaving once she's pregnant and going to stay with her cousin in another town. It's a very uncomfortable story in the first century. And for many, many years in Ireland, uh, because remember, it's a very, very Catholic country, um, and again, no, no attack upon the Catholics at all, but very, very Catholic country, no contraception allowed, uh, and whenever a young girl got pregnant, she would be sent on, on holiday, on a vacation, to live with relatives in England. And sometimes she would be right back, which meant she had an abortion. And sometimes she'd be there for some time, which meant she had a baby and it was given up for adoption. But that was, it was all understood. Oh, she's away to England to visit relatives. We all knew what that meant. Well, that's really what goes on. She's, Mary's not exactly married. It's kind of married, but not really married. And she's a young teen and she's pregnant. So she goes, stays with her cousin for a while. Luke tells the story. He shows us the friendship between the two women, the exchanges between them. He could have only gotten that from them. And he also is the only one that gives us the Magnificat, Mary's prayer, word for word. Where did he get that? He would have sat with Mary. He includes more quotations from Mary than the other Gospels. He includes stories from Mary's life as a young mother, the presentation in the temple, her meeting with Simeon, losing Jesus in the temple. And he shows her to be an active, intelligent, thoughtful woman. Look at this passage. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Have you ever wondered how somebody who wasn't there knew that? Well, she talked to, to Luke. It's a rare look inside the mind of a young woman in the first century. We don't get that if you read Roman literature. You don't get that if you read Greek literature. This is a very unique book, ladies. Your voice is heard, which was well ahead of its time. So not just Mary, by the way. Luke is often, sometimes called the Gospel of Women because he prominently mentions other women. Not only Mary, but Elizabeth, Anna, the prophetess, Mary Magdalene, many others. If you want to do a word count, which you can do if you're a minister, because you only have, you only work one day a week, you got time. <laughs> In the Gospel of, Luke, uh, Gospel of uh, Mark, there are 116 words from women. Luke more than doubles that at 247. That's significant. He respected women enough to go to them, listen to them, trust them and write down their words. So he was not just a Renaissance man. He was ahead of his time. He was a kingdom man. For in the kingdom, we are no longer Jew nor Greek, male nor female, 
slave or free. We are all God's children. And wow, once you realize this, go back and read Luke again, and you'll be able to hear those voices and go, oh, I get it now. But if you don't know this, because we have a neuter gender and we've stripped all that out, it's easy to think, oh, I've read this before. Go back and listen. Christians would gather to hear this story again and again, committing it to memory as it was read to them again and again. Whenever the book came around, they didn't get to keep the book, but whenever it came around, they'd listen to it. It would reinforce to them that they're a new nation now. Jews and Gentiles have come together, led by a true man, a perfect man. And when we say that, it doesn't mean that much to us. But the Greeks had this concept of the perfect man. And if you've ever looked at their statuary, you know what I mean by this. All the muscles are detailed, and they're very fine-looking, and they've got the hair just right, and they're always in the good poses. The perfect man. Well, Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man. And he works, giving a genealogy of Jesus in chapter 3 that works backwards from Joseph to God. He's the son of God, perfect in every way. Luke also mentions somebody else more than the other gospel writers, other than John. He mentions the Holy Spirit. Because you see, Luke was somebody who hadn't walked with Jesus. Therefore, how does this movement continue? That's an interest to a scientist. Not only what happened, but why do we know that it happened? How do we expand it out here? What are the evidence and how does it keep going? What are the motions involved? And he sees the Holy Spirit at work. Mary becomes overshadowed. What a beautiful word. Overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and becomes a new temple of the living God. And by that, he reflects back to the tabernacle. Do you remember the tabernacle? The word there means the tent of meeting. And that's the tent, special tent they had made where they could go meet God. And now Mary has become the tabernacle because she has God within her. And now when Jesus is born and he leaves us, he tells us we are now the temple of God. How does all this work? Luke weaves in the Holy Spirit every step of the way. And as Luke ends his gospel, he tells the resurrection story again. And he speaks of the faithful women. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spice. By the way, where were the men? Hiding in a locked room. Only time in history that women were braver than men, but there it is. Uh, Always, oh, it's, it's so funny whenever young couples go, we just had a baby. No. No. One of you had a baby. The other one didn't do much. And I'll, I'll have guys go, well, I was her coach. Yeah, you told her to do what is inevitable. Breathe. Whew. Lucky for her, you were there. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. By the way, very early in the morning means the first possible chance they had because they were shut down for Sabbath. So they didn't wait. They moved. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. 
while they were wondering, they were wondering. Now, how does he know they were wondering? Because he talked to them about this. Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? I always find that hilarious. It's like the angels are going, a little slow there, aren't you? Uh, he is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you. By the way, again, how does Luke know what angels told women? He talked to them. You remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, that's the apostles, and the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them, those would be other women, who told this to the apostles, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Only time in history that men did not take women seriously. I find it interesting, Luke, the way he gets his information, but also Jesus chose the first witnesses of the risen Christ to be women, the first ones to go back and tell people he is risen to be women, and we still have a hard time getting that, don't we? We still do, because of our culture, the way our culture is set up. Jesus came to change all of this. The men don't understand that Jesus, by rising, has changed the culture. He's changed everything. Brothers and sisters, he's changed your nationality. You're no longer American or Scottish or Irish or Malaysian or... No, no, no. You're Christian. You're no longer male or female. You're Christian. We don't divide like this. You're no longer Democrat, Republican, contrarian, libertarian... You're Christian, and that must inform everything we do. The only way evil exists in our nation is because Christians give it permission to, or we're apathetic, or we're chasing the latest shiny object, and we don't stand up. Now, the way I stand up may not be the same way you stand up, and we may disagree about things, Fair enough, but we are one nation now. We're one people. And our loyalty must be to Jesus. For we are citizens of a new country. We're new people now. Luke got that. He wasn't a Jew, but Jesus was his guy. He wasn't a Jew, but this was his family. And he got it. And he was telling everybody, the women are in, the Gentiles are in, the painters are in now, the artists are in now. All these, the, we're in. He even knew poetry and songs. He quotes lines of poetry and songs in his gospel. Again, easy to miss if you don't know the poetry and songs. But he quotes them, just like Paul does, by the way. He may have even gotten some of them from Paul, because Paul liked to quote them. Everything has been changed. Do you remember the story of the two men on the road to Emmaus? Now, before we read it, we're going to read a bit. Remember, they didn't get what happened, and two men, unnamed, are walking away from Jerusalem. They've given up on the story. 
And as they're walking away, Jesus appears to them, but they don't, they don't know who he is. He talks to them and turns them around and walks them right back into the story, right back to Jerusalem, get into that room with the others, the believers, and tell them everything has changed. One of the men on that road was most likely Luke. Now let's look at it. Jesus, once he's back, sits with them. By the way, he just appears. <laughs> They're there, and all of a sudden, he just walks in the locked room. That'll get your attention every time. When he was at the, and he said, peace. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to, get, be, began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There, they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. And they told, the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Remember what he said when he came in? Peace. And he breathed on them. Now, why is that important? When I was a boy, that bothered me a bit. We're going to talk about that again next week, Lord willing. Because why would you breathe on people? It seemed a bit rude. I didn't get it. I didn't connect it to Genesis. Do you, are you aware everything in the universe came about through the speaking of God? He spoke it into existence. Everything except one. You. Humans, he handmade. He didn't speak them into existence. He handmade them, and then he breathed upon them, and they became living souls. As he walks through the door, these people are dead in their fear and their isolation. They didn't believe the story of the women. So Jesus walks through the door and breathes on them. Be alive. Everything's changed. It's not the same anymore. We're different now. So are you. So are we. And no matter where you are on the road, Jesus wants to meet you. I'm going to ask, this is our first Sunday of the month, and we always ask our, our shepherds and their wives to serve the Lord's Supper. If you would go ahead, please, and head to the back. Now, because some of our shepherds own vehicles and like to travel as well, if you would like to help fill any gaps, please go ahead and step back, and I'll let you know if there are gaps, because we usually need two or three extra volunteers. And in a moment, Tony and Melinda will lead us around the table. But it's important for us all to get no matter where you are on the road, no matter if you're a woman or a man, no matter if you're young or old, no matter who you are, no matter what your nation is, Jesus wants to meet you on the road, tell you his story, and by telling you his story, turn you around and bring you to a new country, a new people, a new family. Let's meet him at the table.